0: Counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. And I'm Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. Every week we take a county and dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us. This week's county, Andrea. Tyrone. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Off to a great start. And this week's question. What do the
1: UK elections mean for Tyrone?
0: Stop everything we need your money it's Christmas (laughs) open your pockets spread some Christmas cheer do you know what I found
1: out what with Patreon if your credit card runs out you stop being a subscriber and that happened to someone and they were devastated because they didn't know so maybe if that happens to you make sure you resubscribe okay
0: especially this time of year when you know because the cards don't be scabby run run out at at the end of the year so, please help us. Go to patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. And what do we need patrons for, Ina? We need them to make, make the this podcast. commercially
1: viable. I hate when people
0: say that, but like. Well, any kind of viable would be good. <laughs> 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 um, you know, commercially, emotionally. So, but we actually, um, we're going to have to do, we're going to take stock in January of 2020. Um, and figure out how to move forward. And one of the reasons, one of the things that we need to move forward is more patrons. So if you've been listening to this podcast, just subscribe right now, please. And thank you
1: uh, to all our patrons last week. We got the 10. Yes, we
0: did. So, do you know what that means? It means find your bunny is going, find my bunny is going to be uh, released on this podcast episode. (laughs) Wow. Um, Thank you, everyone, for making our dreams come true. And thank you so much to all of our new patrons and our patrons who've been with us from the start, the OGs, the rider Dides and everybody who came along in 2019 to make United Ireland what it is. This is our last episode before Christmas. Oh! But we're going to have some super fun special United Ireland apps coming your way over the festive period. Tell me more. When you need to hide. Um, Actually, no. You'll have to tune in and wait till they drop. Absolutely. Like it's
1: hot. Here's a question. Mm -hmm. Do people listen to podcasts on Christmas Day? Get into our DMs and tweet us if you do because I think you do and Eunice thinks you don't.
0: Yeah, I I don't think so. But, you know, prove me wrong. What do you do when you're like hiding from your auntie and uncle in bed? Eat curly whirlies while reading... You know, a novel. That's what I do. What's a novel? <laughs> <laughs> Andrea, how was your week?
1: My week was Stun Arama. It was taken up mainly with uh, gigs. I went to see Wild Youth in the Olympia for their second night. That was, they're just a great pop band. I just love a little bop, a pop, and a sing. So I had. And you're on commission at this stage. <laughs> well, I bet. I haven't even gotten any free merch. Right. Not one thing. Um, But yeah, loved them. And also, I went to Paris. Now, I didn't see any uh, touristy stuff. But you know what I did see? I've never been to the Moulin Rouge, Mm. even though I love the song. And I got to see the Moulin Rouge. Shotgun Christina getting my picture taken outside it. And uh, Deck, a.k.a. Crystal Clear, a.k.a. our music maker, was playing in La Machine de Moulin Rouge. So it's in the machine room of the Moulin Rouge. Oh, wow. It's a club. And it was really fab because you got to run around having a run and muck. But also it was put on by Chloe, who is this. You'll love this. Do you know, Chloe? Yeah. So she said she was the resident DJ at Pulp, which was this feminist lesbian club mm-hmm. that played by the rules of lesbian world, whatever they are. But that <laughs> like when gay men arrived in, they had to play by the rules set by the... Uh, lesbian agenda which is so doesn't happen very often so her and Jennifer Cardini uh, were the girls in there, women in there and then she went on to play Rex which was a legendary club night in Paris so it was really interesting to see and hang out with her and to get the vibe of like this absolute legend who's done so much for clubbing in uh, Paris and around the world and also um, uh, for lesbians? Yeah. And for women, and mm-hmm. for women in electronic music, etc., etc. Anyway, she's a fucking legend. Big up to Chloe. Big up to Crystal Clear. But also, it was really um, interesting because some uh, there was some of our friends from the UK. Uh, were over and they were at the gig as well and their sister was there and she started bawling, crying when we were in, in the middle of the gig. We were having a drink uh, in one of the rooms. Started bawling, crying, just going, I just don't know how I'm going to go back to England mm. now after what has happened. I like And just couldn't fathom what life was going to be like. And it was just so terrifying to see such a stark emotional reaction in the middle of a club night to what was going on um, around the election. So that was very, um, very off-putting. But it was, yeah, it was bizarre. But then also something that I discovered in my week is I was going to Paris and I've been a vegetarian for nine weeks and I haven't even mentioned it once. So like, (laughs) am I actually even a vegetarian? (laughs) Uh, but like I was really worried because it's steak and fruit land, pade, all the most delicious things. And actually I went and adored my food that I got as a vegetarian more than if I had got the steak. Oh. So for anyone thinking about jumping into vegetarian life, if anyone could love meat more than me, I don't think it's possible. And the fact that I loved the head of meat of, see, Freudian slip of cauliflower that I got in this gorgeous place called Miznan. The food over there is unreal, vegetarian for life. The end. That's
0: well That's my week. <laughs> we are going to be talking about the impact of the elections in the UK. Um, for me, I feel that uh, we're going to be talking to a great uh, Tyrone man later in this podcast to get the lowdown and the impact of the elections there. But for me, I feel like weirdly that this moment or the moment over the weekend, like looking at this gigantic Tory majority and, you know, absolute collapse of the Labour vote, etc. It's almost the lowest point in the last three and a half years of all the Brexit shit show stuff Mm. because you could make an excuse of, oh, Boris just, you know, stumbled into power in this weird political vacuum. But the fact that the electorate endorsed him so much and that you're kind of staring down the barrel of five years of Tory government, you know, depending on whether... You whatever happens, um, is is not just about Brexit anymore. It's actually about what's right. going to happen to the UK. There was a a great uh, Pinterest esque
1: analogy going around the Instagram life, of like, um, the trees saw the axe coming and they they asked it to come in because it was made of wood. It said it was one of you, and I should have probably maybe got that actually I, rather I know, than paraphrase. I but know
0: what you mean. I I understand the it's a turkeys voting for Christmas type scenario. Yeah. Um, which is But then festive. maybe,
1: like, they haven't, ha- like, then is that being really patronising? I always think, like, is that being patronising of people using their vote?
0: I don't know. I think it also comes down to, which I'm sure we'll be talking about later, um, how the, like, you know, the actual system, the first, voting system is yeah. so fucked because, you know, I, it makes me feel very grateful for living in a country that has proportional representation because there's not many of us um, and we're doing that bit right anyway. My week. Um, you know, I watched Marriage Story, Andrea, after your attempt to spoiler me. <laughs> I, I didn't try to spoil you. I just was giving my opinion. And it's interesting now seeing it. Um, I was looking at the um, the nominations of the f- Irish film critics this morning and it's like topping everything. <coughs> and I enjoyed it while I was watching it. But at the same time, I don't know. It's just, it's. I just feel like it's very, quite benign film and, and it's going to get all these awards and get all these nominations and it's kind of like, I feel, you know, why? I suppose in, in some ways it is very rare for heterosexuality to be discussed kind of honestly in a film. <laughs> like there's just all these fantasy films about love stories and all that kind of Princesses. stuff. Um, so in a way, you know, that part of it rings true. But I don't know. I was talking to someone who came from a
1: broken home, and they're like, it really hit me, and the emotional impact of it was so strong, and I was like, I fell asleep twice during it, like.
0: I think I just didn't relate to the dynamic, which is fair enough. But like,
1: I don't. Re- you don't relate to loads of things, but you can still watch it, like *Made in Manhattan*.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it had to happen. But <laughs> you know what I
1: mean? Like, you can watch something and enjoy it, and just because it's not your dynamic, doesn't mean it's you can't. Like, yeah, that's, I've no, never that's, been a gangster. Yeah, and I still like the good
0: fellas good do you know what I mean yeah I think I just I know loads of people love Adam Driver but I just I'm not a fan of him I was
1: I w- did like Scarlett Johansson hair in, uh, when he first came on the scene what was he in Girls
0: Girls I mean there is also that thing of like the one person who gets the massive career out of Girls is the guy which well, is, Lena
1: Dunham has done quite well for herself she
0: hasn't got a massive Hollywood film career in the same way he, he's in fucking Star Wars he's in like every film yeah well, like Black she, Clans well, Man, well she would have been in Star Wars <laughs> <laughs> you never know she has all her like just like Lena lis- writes and like listening to Robin in space whatever um, okay, anyway, she's that's my that's my Honses, anyway. story. That's probably why. Oh, no, leave, leave. look, she's doing her best. Everyone's doing their best. Everyone's doing their best. That doesn't what mean they deserve to have a Hollywood career. Okay, what I will say <laughs> is that Robbie Ryan's cinematography in it is amazing. It looks beautiful. It is beautiful. He's brilliant. Um, and hopefully he'll, I mean, he should have got the Oscar for uh, The Favourite. And he's one of the most talented Irish people working in film in the world. So I think that would be I cool. Think I know. He's a really nice... Typically Irish. He's he's such a a nice man and so talented. And he lives on a boat in London. There you go. There's your riding ride Oh, that's another thing that happened to me this week. I bought an anchor ring, boat related. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that update. It's gorgeous. Let's move on to the week that was... The week that was. Right now, Australia is experiencing its, well, it's experienced its hottest day on record this week. An average maximum across the country of 40.9 degrees. Holy schmowdy. Obviously, the bushfires have been kind of crazily out of control there for a while. And it does make you wonder about will Australia... Is climate change real? No, no. I mean, it'll (laughs) make... I couldn't help but wonder. (laughs) No, I think that when are we going to start seeing the first um, big wave of climate refugees from Australia? That's what I'm wondering about. Because people are just going to be like, we actually can't fucking live here anymore. So will there be like wealthy Australians moving to Northern Europe? Um, Which we won't really hear about. Yeah. I mean, so I think that's now kind of what we're looking at like where folks are going to be moving from um, if they can afford to and then who's going to suffer most obviously and poor people who can't leave
1: Australia made a de- or I don't know why I'm saying this because I, de- I didn't go into it but something about Australia making a decision against climate change uh, stuff when they've had their hottest day which is bananas um, maybe I should know some yeah, more things before I say them should I? <laughs> Perfect. Next up in the week that was, <laughs> rents have risen eight percent across the board across Ireland. Uh, so this is probably going to add a bit of fuel to Anna Breen's uh, thing, that rent he wants, control. Rent control that he wants to put the four percent on. Um, but you still have Al Murphy coming up, going, actually rents are falling, <laughs> and everyone has a house, and like rebuilding Ireland is
0: working. Sorry, L O. Absolute L um, Owen, L O N L O N L. <laughs> no, um, I suppose this is when you are own Murphy rents rising more than eight percent nationally is stabilization because it's not like oh, but it's not you know nineteen percent. Um, so that me and also it's kind of with these average things it's hard to to um, kind of pin different things out of them because an average across countries is quite. Vague when various pockets are much more impacted by others well um, seven pockets, the average
1: monthly rent is over a thousand euro a month,
0: yeah, and Dublin that meant so basically the the increase in dublin was was lower, it was six point six year on year um so that that's basically an average rent increase of one hundred and ten euro, meaning that the average rent in Dublin is one thousand seven hundred and sixty two quid. Uh, which is above the rent pressure zone cap of 4%. This kind of thing. Oh, now I'm naming this a rent pressure zone. Now I'm, It's like it's not working. Those rent pressure but They're zones, too much. They're, it's, it's too not working. much. Okay, so um, I'm, much. I'm sure we'll be getting, uh, continuing our discussion around the rent crisis and the impact that Brexit will have on that next year. Uh, what's all this about the Georgian society, <laughs> Andrea? So, there,
1: don't you know the way we're obsessed with hotels in Dublin? Can't get enough of them. Give us more. There's actually um, an old Georgian hotel that the meat baron, Larry Goodman, not to be confused with uh, other baron, Larry Hagman, who was in Dallas. (laughs) (laughs) Boat meat related, because he was a cowboy. Fair. Yeah. Anyway, don't confuse them. Uh, He wants to knock down a Georgian hotel and build a sleek, modern office building. And the Georgian Society have come up and said... Uh, can you get in the sea, please? We are literally knocking down anything in Dublin that won't, does, that not even stand still because it's stands still. Anything that literally has a bit of heritage, we're sweating to get rid of it. So they're having a heart attack saying, please don't do this. So it'll be interesting.
0: This is see. on Kildare Street. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's this row of Georgian houses that have been there for over 200 years. And so just wants to knock them down. Ah, Dublin. Um hopefully that won't happen because there's been multiple scandals over the year of people knocking Georgian buildings. <laughs> but that means nothing. That means nothing. Correct. <laughs> what does that mean? Nothing. nothing. <laughs> and now Tyrone. I think you better call Tyrone. <gasps> Hit me with the Tyrone facts. Well, Tyrone, it's
1: the fact Few and far between. The population is one seven seven nine eight six. Um but it is the largest county in Northern Ireland, um, with Oma as its county town, main county town. And the name Tyrone is derived from the Irish Tyrone. Oh, very Thank good. you uh, which means land of Owen. And it was given uh, to the area because of the conquest made by the Canal Noan from the provinces of our Ar- Argiala and Uliad. That's
0: pretty good, Andrea.
1: Yeah. Irish is coming on. I really want to do some conquests and have a place <laughs> called <laughs> Tear, Andrea. Mm. I'm just trying to figure out where I'm going to do it. Maybe I could take somewhere in the West and conquest down there.
0: That'd be popular. Never happened before. <laughs> <laughs>
1: just a little Andrea. maybe I'll just call my house Tyrandre and uh, also the name Tyrone was popularised by the American actor Tyrone Powers lots
0: of Americans are called Tyrone I find
1: <laughs> yeah anyway and they're usually very good looking go ahead not to generalise but they are um, a matinee idol in the 1930s and 40s whose great grandfather was an Irish actor and Tyrone Guthrie was his second cousin so mm. it was clearly a family name mm. <laughs> Uh, Oh, no. Tully Hogue Fort is said to have been the ancient ceremonial grounds used by the High Chieftains of Ireland of the O'Neill clan. Um, And the natural mound has this gorgeous indented centre with a curtain of trees which offered privacy to whatever shenanigans were going on within the mound. Mm, A little sesh mound. Sesh mound. (laughs) We should build more of them. More sesh mounds for Ireland. Maybe that's what can be Tyrone's selling point. If their if they're if their GAA is clubs are their social networks, maybe they need more settlements
0: Bring it to the storm <laughs> storm when it reconvenes. That's all I could say. Um, it's one of
1: four counties in Northern Ireland which currently has a majority of the population from a Catholic community background, according to a 2011 census. Now this is bananas. Now like, who came up with this is like I'd like to meet them. There's this place called Todd's Leap and it's one of those adventure centres. But one of the things you can do is blindfold driving. (laughs) Like who is like, do you know what's gas? We'll get people to sign off, come in, we'll blindfold them and let them drive. I think I'd like to do it though. That's wild. That's wild. Like imagine your sense, like I can barely do the tree in yoga with my eyes closed, (laughs) let alone drive a car. (laughs) Come on, Tyrone! What is going on? Uh, Girton Glen Forest is a beautiful park with loads of native trees that are really tall. It's like, do not you know that place in America that has all those really tall red roundwood trees? No, redwood, redwood. Yeah. It looks like that in the Sequoia images. Sequoia
0: National Park. Yeah. so Tyrone is it or are they just Sequoia Trees is it Redwood National Park anyway it doesn't matter go on
1: anyway there's a version of that in Tyrone that I think maybe the Tyrone um, tourist board could really remount a little bit more Um, famous people it's kind of like the people who are there are kind of like famous dads almost like (laughs) do you know what I mean it's like Dennis Taylor he plays snooker Darren Clark he plays golf like real dads Uh, But all Brian Friel, he uh, is very good at writing shit. And (laughs) as is Flann O'Brien, he's written a good few things. The Third Policeman, very good. He's a beautiful writer. Um, Obsessed with um, James Joyce, but then likes to go on that he's not. He's like, oh, would everyone start going on about James Joyce? But actually he is very obsessed with him. And Philomena Begley, which is very... uh, Timely given the special on The Late Late Show when she forgot the words.
0: I don't know who Philomena Bagley is.
1: So basically, I didn't either, but she's been, she, they did a Shane McGowan uh, special on The Late Late.
0: Oh, this is the one that people are giving out about. She sang
1: like, Fairy drinking. Tale in New York and she couldn't, She uh, there was a Twitter storm um, that she forgot the words and didn't hit the notes maybe. And she's from Tyrone. Like um, but like, apart she's a legend so everyone can cop on and get in the seat
0: my knowledge of Irish country music is pretty crap so I apologise to all the Philomena Begley fans she's maze. cool and finally
1: I think you should take this one
0: well you know I I thought this was a fact but I've been interrogating it and I'm not sure if it is a fact but anyway (laughs) is uh, is it it, what are those facts called alternative Alternative facts facts. (laughs) all things bright and beautiful the classic hymn (laughs) about uh, the countryside, All Creatures Great and Small. It's actually uh, written about Andrea. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently it was written um, at Sion Mills. I had written down Cyan Hills but that is in fact a, a school. secondary school <laughs> on the south side. Uh, Cyan Mills Cyan Mills I know that you kind of go through Sion Mills when I you love go. when you look at me as if I know <laughs> anything about it. An <laughs> any, it's an interesting town because it has all like different kind of architecture like it has these kind of uh, Tudor Edwardian those kind of uh, half wood um, housing you know that's very Shakespearey. Oh um, um, Anyway so the very signy apparently the that uh, song was composed there and it is beautiful actually you have that beautiful curve in the river and yeah it's nice I feel like that song
1: All Things Bright is very Judy Garlandy, or like someone who's in The Wizard of Oz or something
0: it's an Anglican hymn in fact let's guess there you go Dominic McGrath is a journalist with the Journal and a Tyrone man who is really not talking about Tyrone and Northern politics, apparently. And that's why we have him in today to give us a lowdown on a county that I have to admit I am not overly familiar with. Well, lucky we have those facts, isn't it? Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Um, My main interaction with Tyrone is when you're driving to Donegal. So that's bit shit, isn't it? Going through I don't think I've ever been
1: in Tyrone. Really? Wow. Yeah,
0: I haven't been in loads of places, though. Um, (laughs) but we're going to talk about uh, the county in a little bit but first of all we want to go to the most pressing um, events that have been happening in the north Uh, Dominic you're very welcome thanks for coming in thank you Um, what were people discussing in the run up to the election like your Pals or family up there, what were the main talking points? Yeah, so
2: it was interesting. So, like, if you look at what the media were discussing, it was Brexit. You know, if you read the media, you'd sense that everyone on the ground is concerned about Brexit and, you know, what's the border going to look like or what's the customs arrangements going to be. Um, And it wasn't really quite that on the ground. It kind of depends where you live, but people I know, people I spoke to, there were like two big factors. It was the health service. In the north today, there's thousands of people on strike. In the north, and that was a really a big concern. My mother's a nurse, so that's kind of a, a sort of insight I'd have. Just these, you know, lack of staff, lack of pay parity with the rest of the UK. Um, but also, of course, is um, the big one was just the lack of government. Everyone is just really fed up of not having any government in the north for what nearly three years now, and that's you know caused loads of problems. You know, civil servants can make decisions, decisions aren't being made, and so. Brexit is obviously a big thing. People are really concerned about it, really worried about it, but I think for a lot of people it's just the inertia, the sort mm. of the stasis that's happened in the north, it's something that everyone's just really fed up with no matter what their sort of political background Did is.
1: Brexit almost pushed Northern Ireland back on the re- on the map for the UK and kind of bring it make it relevant again almost because it's so forgotten about all the time.
2: Yeah, no, totally agree. It's kind of uh, this weird, I guess, irony that a place that was in the news for most of, it, I guess, the 20th century was then kind of forgotten about, um, which is kind of wrong. You know, I think there was a sense that once the Good Friday Agreement was signed, sealed, delivered, everyone was like, oh, we can Red ignore up. Northern yeah. Ireland now, which is a really bizarre way to look at peace agreements. Mm-hmm. We'll leave that aside for a second. But um, yeah, so I think it was kind of off the agenda. People weren't really talking about it. Obviously, we all know that people in The rest of the UK have a very... Um, how do I be? How do we polite? <laughs> not much of a relationship. need to be polite here, we're no, all friends. They don't really think too much about the north, um, even down in the south. You know, people. I think not
1: even think about it. Don't even know. No, about
2: that's it. that's yeah. I've been very generous, <laughs> um, but I think even down here as well, people kind of tend to forget about it a little bit. And of course, yeah, Brexit came along, and it suddenly was this huge issue. It was the centre of the the world's attention once again, which is was quite weird and quite odd, and I think a very strange position for the north to be in, especially at a time when it had. No government. It was kind of the worst um combination of scenarios we could have had in the North. Mm. So it was a very, very odd sort of position for it to be in, really.
0: So when we when we um when we look at um the elections themselves, and I suppose the North can be characterized often as being quite entrenched in terms of who people are going to vote for. And um there were changes in four constituencies um in, in the election, but the Tyrone constituencies weren't those, although um, they came very close. So you have these two constituencies, right, West Tyrone and Fermanagh and South Tyrone. Um, and the latter provided uh, the election with, I think, the tightest yeah. um, win um, where the Sinn Féin candidate there held their seat by 57 votes. Fucking yeah. Hell. Um But what kind of voting trends have you seen in Tyrone in recent like let's say over the last maybe 10 years or something because that does seem to indicate that there is a tightening maybe of support um, or, a, a, or a loosening of support I suppose for Sinn Féin in that constituency. Mm.
2: So from Fremantle, South Toronto has always been a really tight constituency. It's kind of famous as the constituency that Bobby Sands stood in um, many years ago. So it's always been this sort of battle really between a unionist candidate and a nationalist candidate. And there's always been a back and forth, who will stand. There was you know, an independent unionist stood for a while um, and there was various different kind of um, nationalist candidates. And in the last, I guess, decade, I mean, all I remember really has been these really tightly fought um, battles between Sinn Féin and typically the Ulster unionists. Um, so we kind of expected this. Um, it's always the one that sort of has the final, you know, the last sort of constituency to um, announce the results across the entirety of the UK. So it wasn't really a surprise but... Actually, the more interesting constituency, and I can't believe I'm saying this, is West Tyrone. Mm. Um, because before the election, I will admit I was guilty of saying it's the most boring constituency <laughs> in the North, because it's always the same result, really. It's a very much, for the last decade more, I think, has been a very much safe Sinn Féin seat. But actually, West Tyrone, that's my constituency, I'm from OMA, is, um, is actually a really good cipher or a really good microcosm of actually the vote in the North as a whole. So if you look at the Sinn Féin vote, it was actually down quite a bit, even though Sinn Féin kind of romped home comfortably, as you'd expect. Yeah,
0: it's down nearly 11%.
2: Exactly, which really is again, sort of a representative of what happened across the rest of um, the North. But also most interesting of course is the Alliance. So the Alliance had a really really major surge um, kind of unexpected surge in some ways across um, the North. And I say unexpected because obviously the Alliance has done very well, recently did very well in the local and European elections, but And again, I blame myself on this. A lot of people said that first past the post, it's not a proportional system, Alliance will will lose their momentum. And we were all wrong. Um, they did very well. And uh, the candidate, Stephen Donnelly in West Toronto, he's a really sort of quite impressive young candidate. No
0: relation. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, he's a great candidate. He's been around for a long time. Really proper grassroots, you know, from day one, being involved in sort of alliance as a young kind of activist. Um, and he his vote increased um, by, I think it was 7.4%. Um, and the important thing, I think, is that... West Tyrone is not Alliance Heartland. You know, Alliance Heartland is Belfast, parts of Down. Um, you saw where Stephen Farry won in North Down. This is kind of the areas where Alliance traditionally dominated, east of the Ban. We all know that sort of east-west of the Ban mm-hmm. divide. Um,
1: and, and why do you think that's happening?
2: I think there's lots of different reasons. I think that Alliance has done well in taking votes both off Sinn Féin and the DUP. Um, in this case, obviously from Sinn Féin and West Tyrone. Um, I think it's because people are a bit fed up with the lack of government. I think you can bo- blame both the DUP and Sinn Féin. Now you can sort of argue over who should share the majority of that blame, but either way, voters see Sinn Féin and the DUP as the guilty parties in this sense. And, you know, even when I was up talking to people, I, was, I wrote a piece on the race in South Belfast, um, Claire Hanna versus Emma Little Pangeli, one of the most interesting races in the north. And it. It was, I guess, really interesting because I talked to, I was in sort of a unionist estate, a properly kind of working class residential area. And I was talking to a woman and she was very much like, look, we don't actually care. I just want my kids to have a good future. Like whether it's in Ireland, whether it's in the UK, no one wants to go back to, you know, fighting over a little piece of land anymore. So I think that was quite a dramatic thing to hear from someone living in like a really unionist area. So I think that's kind of translated across or I guess filtered across maybe the entirety of the North where people are just a bit fed up and they want something a bit different. It's
1: kind of like a parallel with Brexit. People are just so fed up with talking about Brexit. Mm. We just want it done. And Mm. people are so sick of fighting over where we're we're from here. Mm. Can we just live our lives? And it's really
2: interesting because in some ways it's also the opposite because people have been using the term, I think, ulsterified in terms of like in Brexit where it's become really polarised really suddenly and everyone is just looking at politics through one lens, whether it's remain or leave. But in fact, you know, Ulsterised is kind of now an archaic term because Ulster or the North has become actually closer knit in some ways um, and the results in some ways don't indicate that. That's kind of the deficiency of, you know, first past the post is a very Mm -hmm. blunt instrument, um, unfortunately. But when you do look at the results, you do see I think people are coming together and just want a government back and people to work together.
0: Yeah, I think you're really identifying something there with the trends and how West Huron represents them because, like just looking through the figures here so Sinn Féin their vote was down over 10% in West Round, DUP their vote was down 5% SDLP was up 5% Alliance as you said up 7.4 UUP up basically 1.5% Aintu up uh, 25 and the Greens up 0.3 um, that does feel like you know a, a kind of shift to the middle ground more so
2: yeah no definitely and I mean how do I put it on the face of it, you know, you can say that Sinn Féin did well in the election. Obviously, they defeated Nigel Dodds in um, Belfast North, and that was a major win for them, coming off the back of like, quite poor results down here. Um, but on the vote share, they really did quite poorly, and West Tyrone, I think, really reflects that. Mm. And a lot of constituencies where you know, Sinn Féin have been dominant for a long time, again, in the North, you can really safely divide sort of the region, the state, whatever it is, who knows, into like, you know, one side or the other, and you can see usually who's going to win and who's going to not but in that sense, Sinn Fein's vote did drop in a lot of places alongside the DUPs. So I think I think this, if the alliance trend continues into the assembly elections, um, that could be very interesting. Clearly, change the face of of the north.
0: Do you think like, or what are the, from your perspective, what are the unique aspects, if any, to Tyrone that Brexit will have a particular impact on? Obviously, it's a border county.
2: Yeah. So. It's difficult. Um, even as a border county, I feel Tyrone often. Does, sometimes it doesn't feel like a border county. It's kind of not. You know, sort of. Sometimes it's got like you know, Strabane and mm-hmm. Lifford. You've got up by the like Castle. Derg leads onto the border, but I think because it's not a really huge. Uh, manufacturing county never really was, definitely isn't anymore. It's really the small businesses will be affected. Again, you can't even really, you know, point to tourism in Tyrone that'll be affected. I was at a sort of tourism NRI right, I briefing a few weeks ago, and you know, they were talking about areas where people go from down here up north, and Tyrone was not on that list. Yeah, it's all um, Game of
0: Thrones, Giants Causeway, <laughs> exactly. Titanic.
2: Exactly. So it's kind of unfortunate. So I think. I think the biggest issue more for uh, Tyrone is actually the lack of a government as opposed to Brexit. Like, again, Brexit will cause trouble. I was, years ago, I was writing a piece um, about Brexit just when it happened. I went to um, Straban and Claddy in that kind of border area, which would have seen a lot of, you know, violence during the Troubles, and they were just fed up at the time, you know. They were just like, we don't want it back again. So there is an anxiety about border checks or whatever technology mm. might be there. But I think the biggest issue... Uh, especially for Tyrone, is just the lack of any government to sort of boost funding, to create sort of support for the area that's, again, west of the Ban, traditionally been sort of more deprived. Um, again, areas like Straban always list among the most deprived areas in the UK. So those kind of things are actually, I think, more important in some ways than Brexit.
1: Is there maybe a government on the way? Like, obviously, <laughs> Brexit threw up United Ireland yeah. and it wasn't about us all the time, but it, it was on the conversation. Uh, for the whole time during it, what do you think with that?
2: Yeah, I think in some ways the results of the election were kind of perfect to get back to um, an assembly, simply because the DUP did very badly sort of catastrophically badly, Sinn Féin on the face of it did okay, but not incredibly well you know, that defeat in uh, foil to um, uh, Colm Eastwood was massive, like really really crazy results, especially when you consider how it's Ardesh there only a few weeks ago, so Sinn Féin didn't do that well as um, at the same time, so I think it kind of created these like ripe conditions where everyone can, like, no one has any face to lose yeah, yeah, yeah. by going back. Um, no, I've really, I was really struck on the night of the election by uh, Jeffrey Donaldson in Lagan Valley, who really stressed the need to get back around the table again. And they've been stressing, you know, we've no red lines, we've no agenda, we just want mm, to get Northern Ireland working again. And, and whatever you think about that, I mean, that's significant. That was the first thing they said. There was no sort of triumphalism, of course, from anyone.
0: Well, I guess I figure. How- like it's damaged them so much that the you know, that people have just blamed both parties for, yeah. for this inertia as you're saying. But I like as somebody who doesn't really know that much about Tehran, um what was it like growing up in that part of the country?
2: Yeah, I mean it's kind of funny. Um it's quite an isolated place in many ways. You know, it's again I keep talking about the West of the band kind of thing, but it's really important to get across that image of that divide in the north where there is no, um, there's no trains. There is no real impressive sort of public service infrastructure. Um, you know, I think those legacies of 1960s taking away all that infrastructure, especially trains, really had an impact on that sort of part of the country. Um, and that's really, really significant to keep in mind. So if I keep referring back to that, it's not because I'm just like being <laughs> that's annoying. That's it's that's really, it is important if you look at a map. But um, so. Tarun, it's, it's isolated, you know, Belfast or Derry even is the big smoke, which is kind of a laughable idea in some ways. Um, I mean, yeah, if, if you want to go anywhere, do anything, you do have to go quite far, whether it's Derry, whether it's Belfast. And famously, you know, somewhere like Get to Derry, the famous A5 issue, which I might bring up again later, makes it very difficult to get to these places. Tell us about well, that. Yeah, so it's kind of the issue for the last... God, how many years? Too long, Um, is the A5. So it's the road that sort of connects Dublin up to Derry. Um, Famously, an incredibly bad road. Um, Wonderfully enough, it is also the main road to the hospital, if you live in Tyrone. And this is a road where sheep and cattle are crossing, you know, during the day. It's tractors on the road. It's really, really bad. And it's been held up for a long time, basically for a combination of reasons. Um, Just because of funding would be the biggest sort of transport Mm. project in the North's history. Um, but also just because lack of political agreement and then of course the executive fell so that's the big issue that could have dominated my sort of growing up when I was unaware aware of politics was A5, A5, A5 and it still isn't fixed which is a Northern Ireland metaphor in itself <laughs> um, but yeah it's, it's an interesting place I mean I grew up in Oma uh, which was the town so I guess technically I'm a townie even though it is a very rural <laughs> small town um, and It's just one of those, I guess, Oma and, I guess, different parts of it, like Cookstown. They're very much sort of those kind of market towns that don't have markets anymore. Um, Kind of quite empty high streets, shops closing, especially, you know, a decade ago. So it's kind of, yeah, one of those counties that is often forgotten, um, isn't really known too much about. People, yes, drive through it to get somewhere else. Um, So that's kind of it. It's kind of a... It's it is nice. It's quite beautiful. You've got the sparrow mountains, beautiful countryside, mm. but people don't really hang around too much in Tyrone. Um,
0: do you mind me asking how old you are? Uh, I'm twenty four. So you were um, t- two three years old when the Oma bombing happened, yeah. um, which is obviously a, a a travesty, and that left an indelible mark on the Irish psyche. I wonder what it's like growing up in a place that became shorthand for, you know, the worst sectarian act of that time.
2: Yeah, it's, it's it's quite weird because I think one of the things that's important to get across about the North is that, like, you grow up as a child and you can't ignore politics, you know. You're aware of politics long before you are a teenager or you're becoming, like, politically engaged or politically active as you get in most of countries. And, you know, it's something that was I remember being discussed in school from a young age, um, you know, people. Everyone, every single person has, you know, has a story of oh, my mum was shopping in the town that day, or I remember I I heard the bomb blast from up the road. And These were kids who were, you know, only a f- few years old. So, I guess for a lot of people, we're aware of what OMA means and what the significance of it. Um, and I think it you become more aware of what it meant as you get older. You know, I'm much more aware of how why the timing added to however horrific the bomb was, now that I'm older and understand it, but as a kid I think it's just, it's something that's it's written into your town's history in a way that is both significant but also mundane, if that doesn't, not in a bad way, but it's just it's always it been happens. there, people always discussed it there's, you know, arguments over where a memorial should be or what it should look like it becomes that kind of procedural stuff you read in the local paper growing up, so it's a really significant event that kind of shadows the town, but for growing up there, it's just something that's always a fix, that you're sort of hanging over you. And I think it's more, for me anyway, when I left OMA, and you talk to people and ask where you're from, and you say, you know, OMA, and you realise people do recognise the name. Hmm. Um, they recognise, you know, what it means and that kind of thing. I mean, there's a, there's a poet from OMA, she's like a performance poet, Catherine Brogan, and she's a great poem about the OMA-ah, and it's, oh, where are you from, OMA-ah, you know, yeah. <laughs> which is I think really gets it across. It's more when you leave. And you realise that people somehow recognise this little town in the middle of kind of forgotten county for this very reason, you know.
0: You are therefore part of the generation that Lyra McKee would have called the ceasefire babies or Mm. the children of the ceasefire Um, and within that all of the complexities that that throws up with identity and legacy and growing up in a place where for the most part the extremity of the troubles is over. How do you think that that impacts the psyche or emotional interior of you and your peers when people are still talking about this stuff that isn't, may not be very, very heightened on a day to day basis? Although, of course, it is in some parts of the north and in some, you know, for for some people, for a good number of people. Is it a weird Thing that this shadow is 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 still there and crops up occasionally, but maybe you feel less connected to the yeah to the re- like the day to day of it.
2: Yeah, no, it's really odd because I mean, um, I think everyone growing up hears stories from their families about like what it was like during the troubles, but you know, people don't talk about it, you know explicitly. Uh, you know, people in the north aren't going around talking about it all the time and their experiences, but I think it's you hear little snippets and bits of information, and it's kind of you can't. You can't really grow up not being aware of what happened. But also you don't know enough to understand why, let's say, your parents want you to wear a Celtic or a Rangers jersey out to, you know, a, a football game or where you're going, you know, down to your local sort of parish hall or whatever. So I guess it kind of feeds into what you can and can't do, you know, areas where you might not go or it might not feel comfortable because you're outside of your own tribe or something, you know what I mean? So I think in that sense, it kind of forms how you view your own community you know you see it as like segments in different areas um or you know that's that classic idea of you know you find out quickly where someone goes to school um because you know, that gives a sense of you know what background they are what they might believe or what you should and you shouldn't say um, and i think that that's changed a little bit for for my generation um i think we are less kind of siloed um, obviously i think i think i always stress is you know, it's so easy to grow up in the North and not speak to anyone who is of a different religion or a different political background. Because, you, you know, let's say if you're a Catholic, you go to your Catholic school, you then go to your GAA club and that's that's your social life. And it's still it's kind of a, a weird thing to, I think, get across how very much I think siloed is probably the best word mm. that is. But again, that is slowly changing. Um, and obviously for the better, it's great. Um,
1: but I so think like GAA clubs would be like your nightclubs. Um, S- is wh- there no mixing like
2: no there is a mixing and like people go to the same places um, but I think that sense your social circle is somewhat constricted if you do come from a more traditional family simply because your social life resolves around where yeah, yeah that kind of thing
0: um you know you're from Tyrone when? What are the characteristics of people from Tyrone or quirks that the county has that people from outside may not know?
2: Um, God, it's kind of difficult. Um, I always say that Northern Irish people are very friendly, um, like incredibly friendly people, maybe too friendly sometimes. But I think in Tyrone, like I think, that's, I think we, kind of, we have that friendliness, but also that kind of... Um, rural farmer reticence sometimes. Um, It's a hard one to pin down Um, it is I think just I mean when I was thinking about this I was like oh we all listen to Nathan Carter Um, (laughs) which isn't true but there is a lot of people who like um, country and western music so maybe that's how you know when you're in throne when you hear Nathan Carter blared out of Parish Hall at one o'clock in the morning which isn't a great advertisement (laughs) I'm sorry
0: um, and finally, what would be your hope for 2020? Obviously, um, there are go- there are talks kicking um, back up. And then we also have Boris just um, barreling ahead with uh, refusing that there be any transition period of three years or all this kind of stuff. What would be your hope for the county and for the broader region next year? Yes, yeah, so I think
2: really is, of course, getting assembly back up and running. Um, The difficult thing, and I'm being kind of pessimistic here, is that there's so many issues now to address for the Assembly and so many sort of tense issues, whether that's Brexit, whether that's even commemorating the creation of Northern Ireland in 2020 and 2021, which is obviously going to be fraught with um, fun. (laughs) Um, So it's a difficult one. Um, I think that I think just the first thing is, I'm not going to be too ambitious. I just want, you know, the Assembly back up and running and for people to actually make decisions, you know, benefits, people, there's so many great projects um, across the entirety of the North that need funding, need decisions to be taken. Even at Oma, there's a really cool idea of a shared education campus um, where all different schools from different religions are coming together in one place. And that's been sitting idle for, what, nearly a decade. One wow. school has moved there, but nothing's really happened, in part. You know, lots of different administrative reasons, but also just because there's no government, no minister to try and force things through and get everyone around a table and get things moving. So, it's these wonderful projects that would take Northern Ireland forward and really sort of um, give it some positive headlines, that are now sitting, not it must nothing be happening. It's
1: just so frustrating. Like, there's nothing worse than inaction.
2: Yeah, no, and it's also the fact that. You know, a lot of people don't seem to care that much outside of Northern Ireland. You know, people yeah, don't yeah. notice. And it's kind of a weird sense that if everything isn't falling apart, then it's fine. It
1: yeah, sure, it's but, but you can
2: imagine if, you know, a government didn't exist here, what would happen? You know, the amount of chaos that is kind of hidden by, I don't know, a resin of like bureauc- bureaucratic competence or something, you know. But it's, 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 you know, there's so many pressing things that need to happen and so many great things that could be done and they're just not
0: Well, let's hope uh, for 2020 that everyone gets their shit together, basically. (laughs) Um, Dominic McGrath, journalist from The Journal and from Tyrone. Thank you so much. That was really enlightening. I really appreciate you coming in. Thank you for having me. Okay, so we've come to the part in the podcast where we fulfill our promise because we're sound and reliable. Last week we said that... Apart from when it comes to Patreon rewards. Okay, they're (laughs) coming. Don't worry. Happy Christmas. Um, Last week uh, we kind of... I don't even know how we got onto it, but it was... Oh, it was about Roxette. And I was telling Andrea about a power ballad that I recorded as a practical joke for my friend's birthday. I think it's probably like seven or eight years ago that I did this and um, it's called Find My Bunny and enough of you signed up on Patreon for us to reward you with this <laughs> we're going to play like a, a minute snippet of Find Can, My Bunny sorry
1: before we do tell me about the story behind the song the bunny
0: so bunny is was a nickname for my friend Fionn um, and rem- remains a nickname and we used to just play like dumb jokes with each other we lived together for years and we would just do like dumb shit and you know and so it kind of would get out of hand at times Did you lose your bunny though? No so basically <laughs> I wanted to for his birthday years ago record um, a song a power ballad about Fionn yeah. um, who I called Bunny and I played around with some different, you know, themes. Um, and one of them that I, you know, landed on was... As a true creative. As a true creative, was about loss and friendship. And I think actually was probably about when we would go out, um, you know, maybe like you just kind of disappear or whatever. As one does when one is out partying, like where where did that person go or where did they end up or whatever. And so I just landed... So it's a power ballad about the set. It's yes, a, it's a, it's a power ballad about um, it's a power ballad about losing Fionn on a night out and then wondering where he is. And it's um, I tried <laughs> to like you're trying to dance it up here. You to. lost him on a sesh. Where is he gone? <laughs> That's your power ballad. <laughs> and I tried to insert as many power ballad cliches lyrically into this. As possible, all kinds of metaphors that don't really make sense and mix a lot, and but for it to be transmitted in the sincerest way possible. And the person who did the music was um, my friend Mark. We recorded it at Bowline Studios. Mark who? um, Mark Healy. Hi Mark Healy. Hi Mark. Here it is. Get ready. Oh, and if you want to hear the full thing, sign up to our Patreon and we'll release it there just for you. Find my bunny by Una Maladi. (laughs) <laughs> this one's for you. I've been in the desert for 40 days. I've been in hell for 49. Looking for a bunny to call my own. The bunny that's the light of my life.
1: Christmas. So what's and all get- through the house? Not a creature was stirring, not only a mouse. Uh, this week, get in the sea. It's 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 a bigger picture and a smaller picture in one. But in general, it's corporate communications. A, it's greenwashing. B, and C, it's Irish Rail. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, this week they put up. Uh, a post on their Twitter about their tea that's now served in smaller cups that look smaller but they're not actually smaller they've the same volume. So someone was giving out about them and they were like going well we because somebody wants to use their keep cup And they weren't allowed put the hot water into the keep cup because not all keep cups may fit under the hot water spout. And somebody, for safety reasons, they may get burnt. The person giving you the hot water, so you have to use the cups that are given.
0: These kind of rules are the kind of things that make people vote leave for (laughs) Brexit. You know, it's like I'm not having my. You have a cup, I won't. That kind of thing. So. (laughs) They couldn't use their
1: cube cups. You had to buy the cup of tea and people were giving out. I can't believe for the drip of water you get for that cup of tea in the small cup, it's actually the same size so everyone needs to calm down about that. But, then, Irish Rail said, well, actually, we changed our cups because they're recyclable. And then, it came to pass that we actually can't re- they that they don't recycle them because we don't have the facilities in Ireland to recycle them and someone's like but that's a lie because you don't recycle them and like yeah but when we do have the facilities we will recycle them and it's like <laughs> but you don't recycle them and they were like yeah but when we can we will and all the questions are like you're actually like fully lying and they're like that is not a lie the truth is that we will and it's like oh my god A that's in bits that you're doing that but C who is manning this Twitter account can they get, step
0: away and get in the sea like in bento bits It does not surprise me that an organisation or a company that cannot put hot water in people's keep cups so that they don't use cups would then go around the houses trying to defend that decision.
1: Well, they didn't do a very good job, let me tell you. That, that PR, like general, I think a lot of PR people need to get in the sea. And coming from one, that means a lot. So adios, Irish Rail in the sea. Now, as we're raging against Irish Rail, what are your fave bits, Una?
0: I have one fave bit this week and it's gremlins. The film. I'm going to see the 4K restoration of it this evening in CineWorld in Dublin. That's a 4K restoration. Oh, some shit they do to make it look better. Okay. I actually don't like restorations. I don't even know why I said that because I don't care about restorations. I hate when they remaster it's like albums. Like when they like make pe- the aging thing they did in The Irishman. Yeah, I don't like when they, you know, you know, you listen it. to remastered albums. Don't like that. Play it how it was recorded, so or filmed. Anyway, it doesn't matter that it, whether it's 4K restoration or not, like a high definition restoration of the original thing. I would actually prefer, you know, bring it back to what it was filmed in originally. Anyway, that doesn't matter. I just love Gremlins. I lo- It's an underrated Christmas movie that people don't necessarily think is a Christmas movie. And, um, you know, I just am looking forward to hanging out with Gizmo. That's literally my only fave bit this week. I've just been finishing up all of my work. I've been very overworked and a bit stressed. And, um, time to pop the Malibu. Time to. <laughs> Ye I just old don't mole know how Malibu. how you
1: drink Malibu. It's delicious and it comes in these lovely cans. No. Anyway, here's my favourites because I've loads. <laughs> I've really been getting into the Christmas spirit. Uh, Mariah Carey is number one with All I Want for Christmas after 25 years. So big up to Mariah Carey. Someone did a tweet yesterday. We are like, I just want to say congratulations to Mariah Carey and J-Lo who are coming back 25 years later doing their bits. But we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, yeah, we're having our Mariah party in Trop Pop from half six on Thursday. So come along where we're going to have some mulled Malibu for everyone. We're not really mulling Malibu, obviously. Um, I'm also very excited. If anyone's watched my Insta story or knows me at all, I am obsessed with uh, Work It from Selwax, Marie Davidson. And too many DJs are playing on Friday. So I am going to get to see my song played by the crea- the remixers, at least, um, in real life. And I am absolutely sweating for it. Too many DJs are playing at Jam Park.
0: I, yesterday, um, mailed Niall Nine, my favourite top tracks, uh, ten, top 10 tracks of 2019 for his website. And that is on the list. Good, because it's And I actually banging. mention
1: you <laughs> <Yes>. as well. <laughs> she never stops playing it. Um, also very excited. Crystal Clear is playing on Stevens' Day in Jam Park also. So don't you know when you're like so sick of eating and you're just sweating for a dance, that is going to be my Stevens' Day. Also, I have a film of holiday proportions called The Holiday. That is on in the Mutiny Theatre that I am going to see. And What's I can't, Mutiny Theatre? Oh my God, it's this deadly uh, small theatre that can do live podcasts. It can do, oh, idea bulb over my head. It can do, it's uh, a little cinema and it has a stage. It's this gorgeous little, You uh, just look it up. I'm a crap explainer. Um, so, I just
0: looked it up there. It's on Pembroke Place. Yeah. So that's somewhere, you know, near Leeson Street, basically. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's really cute. It's near the bridge. Um, but the holiday this may be my Christmas made in Manhattan. It's Cameron Diaz talking about, splitting up with her boyfriend and making, uh, she's an, uh, she makes the trailers and movies and makes them sound like they're, like this would be right up your street, Andrew. Makes them sound like they're really amazing. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I can't wait to see that. And then the best thing I'm most excited about is everyone coming home from around the world and being in Grogan's on Sunday having pints. Go oh. on, everyone coming home and festive spirit. And don't buy shit. Just hug people and just enjoy people's company and your family this Christmas. Stop buying shit. Buy experiences like Trap Pop Give it
0: <laughs> <laughs> Or subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, or subscribe to our Patreon. So, Andrea, um, what's Jennifer Lopez been up to this week? This week in JLo News, she has been a busy bitch yet
1: again. Oh Well, around her anyway. She got a SAG nomination. Now, talk to us about
0: how she got it. Well, um, first of all, I would <laughs> like to say about the SAGs, I think these are the best awards. I remember asking a friend of mine in the States, we were just like having a drink and talking shit. And I was saying, you know, if the, what one award would you like to win?
1: Can we preface this with, we were having a conversation ourselves and we were talking about awards and I'm not really into awards. And I was like, blah, blah, blah. You were like, oh, you have never seen me around award season. Yeah, you're an, an award obsessive.
0: I like it because I like observing what the industry thinks about different films and TV shows and where things are going to go and who's you know winning and who's losing out and all that. So SAG. Anyway, so the anyway, so me and my buddy and we chatting about this and I was saying, you know, what a, what one award of all of the awards would you like to win? And she was saying SAG because it's kind of weirdly the most prestigious one because it's voted or the most validating one because it's voted for by your peers within the industry. So uh, the Screen Actors Guild Award,
1: actually, (coughs) that's the award that the man in the holiday gets with Cameron Diaz. Okay,
0: (laughs) Right. Um, So basically, J-Lo got nominated for uh, Best Supporting um, Female Actor. Um, And my favourite part of this was how she announced that she'd got or how she was like giving her gratitude for how she got it. She posted this video on Twitter being like, thank you so much for all the support. And she was all tearful and appreciative. But she was on a Stairmaster in the gym while she was doing this. So she just doesn't stop. She works. Like, did you watch her documentary? What documentary? Oh my
1: God. We have a lot to talk about off air. Okay. She's literally working out all the time. Uh, she Hustlers was named the fifteenth best film of the year by
0: The Guardian, and the Dublin Film Critics Circle twenty nineteen awards named Hustlers the eighth uh, best film of the year, and also uh, J Lo um, the ninth best actress between Aquafina for The Farewell and Maggie Gyllenhaal for The Kindergarten Teacher. I haven't seen that. I did love Aquafina and Farewell.
1: Go on, J Lo and Hustlers. Uh, IndieWire has said that Jada has been taken for granted
0: yeah there was kind of this like essay type article on IndieWire about um, how you know Jennifer Lopez is such a gifted actress so why do we always take her for granted um, so that's an interesting read if you want to reinforce your <laughs> existing <laughs> opinions, which is why you're listening to this podcast in the first place. <laughs> but what I feel, looking forward to 2020... For JLo, <laughs> For JLo is, um, I was looking up the top, like the Oscars are kind of a little bit early this year. They're on the 9th of February. Um, and the Super Bowl halftime show, which features Shakira and Jennifer Lopez, is on February 2nd. So although all of the Oscar voting will be done, there's some kind of like vibey-vibiness happening there that everybody's going to be talking about Jennifer Lopez and then exactly a week later the Oscars are happening. So she's going to win one. Ah! I just... Ah! I'm having to have constant Ah! conversations with Andrea on WhatsApp to just manage her expectations about Jennifer Lopez winning an Oscar. What's interesting is that there are... Have been like so many good roles for women in the last year, which is an anomaly, and I think it'll be a very difficult race. And I think getting the nomination will be really an achievement in itself because the field is very crowded, and also everybody loves Marriage story because everybody <laughs> is a heterosexual person. Bore off. <laughs> it's not a bad film. It's, it's, it's I was entertained. Like, it's watching not it. a bore.
1: It's not a bad film. But like, like, is it really something that we can talk about in years to come?
0: Remember that piece of t- of. No, bore off. Anyway, shout out to Barnsey for calling our white water rafting episode your favourite yet. We love you. This podcast is produced by Andrew Manga to Castaway Media with support from Susie Bennett. Crystal Clear gave us his a tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all our design.
1: You can find links to all of our socials on our website, com. And if you're enjoying listening, do let us know. And if you have any suggestions for subjects you'd like us to look at it for an episode, if we're going to keep doing them, sign up on Patreon, drop us a mail or DM. Now, this week's Tuna Chicken Roll comes with a tear in our eye. Um, yesterday, the Galaxy announced that they had travelled as many galaxies as they were ready to do and that the time had come to say goodbye. So this week's Tuna Chicken Roll, we bid adieu to the Galaxy with Love System.
0: I've been Una Malali.
1: I've been Andrea Horan.
0: This has been United Ireland. And that was Tyrone. Tyrone. Happy Christmas. <laughs> do that again. Do that into the mic. You have to do it into the mic if you're going to do it, Andrew. If you're going to fucking say something at the end of our podcast. Okay, let's do that again. Happy Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs>